turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read verses 8 through 11. We'll read God's word, we'll pray, we'll study it, and then we'll reflect on it uh, during musical worship and ask the Lord to help us to apply it to our lives. But first, let's hear what the Lord says about slowing down to be with him. You might recognize this chapter. We're right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. So I'm going to read one of them, the one right in the middle. Starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is within them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come before your word and listen to the things that you have said, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, and we pray that you would give us the promised Holy Spirit, who the prophet Jeremiah and Ezekiel said would come and change our hearts from the inside out, so that we would not just look upon your words and your law, hoping to conform to them, but from the deepest part of who we are, we'd be changed and actually desire the things of God. And we just pray that, that by your great power, you would change us at the heart level. Not to try to conform externally to things that, that you, you say in hopes of getting your attention or impressing you, but I just pray that our hearts would desire and long for the things of God. I pray that we would see the things that you say and trust you and actually see the value and benefit of them. Ultimately, I pray that your word, just as you would say in the, the Gospel of John, would cause us to look to Christ and to see in your word everything coming back to Jesus Christ and ultimately, even in the small things, to want more of your presence, your power, your person, and your word in our lives. May you just please just start with this little step, this little place where we're at right now. We submit to you. We ask that you would change us, our families, our church, our communities, and our own souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we, we spoke from the Gospel of Mark on slowing down to be with Jesus. How many of you listened to that? You're like, this is a great idea. I'm going to do it. You went out Monday, failed. Like, okay, I'm going to do it on Tuesday. I'm going to start over. Woke up on Tuesday, failed. Like, okay, it's halfway through the week. I've still got half a week. You get up Wednesday morning. Like, I'm going to get super deep with the Lord. Open up your Bible. Kids are screaming. The to-do lists are piling up. The phone is ringing, email. All of a sudden, you lose sight of everything. All, uh, but before you know it, 
Sunday arrives and you're like, I have not been with Jesus one second of my week. Good thing there's, there's church that we have to go to, right? That counts. I'll just slow down and be with Jesus because I have to slow down and be with Jesus. How many of you hear stuff like that from some uh, overzealous preacher speaking about being with Jesus or the sermon that uh, I gave a few weeks ago about having margin in your life, slowing down and actually having space, and you look at those things and you, you, see, uh, you deeply long for them, but you feel powerless to actually experience them, and they never seem to materialize. You, you find yourself going week after week after week, hoping for those things, but never actually having them. If there's no margin in your life, if there's no uh, space in your life to slow down and be with Jesus, this is not something uh, that's supposed to induce guilt in your life by bringing it up, but rather just a confirmation of what we kind of already know um, and can just kind of throw out there together as a group. If we're honest with ourselves, we have pretty frazzled lives. Maybe not everybody in the room, but probably a lot of us. The lack of margin and the difficulty that we have of slowing down and being with Jesus or even each other or even just by ourselves, just having some breathing room is not something that's supposed to bring up guilt in our lives, but simply confirm what we already probably intuitively know. We have frazzled, busy, frantic hectic lives sometimes. Perhaps this has been very difficult, disillusioning for you as a Christian because you've seen or heard those scriptures like Jesus himself saying, uh, I have come to give life and life more abundantly. Or saying in, uh, uh, I believe it's in Matthew chapter 11 that if you come to me uh, and take my yoke upon you, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you look at those things and you say, well, I've been following Jesus, I think, but my burden is not light and it's not easy and following Jesus is, has not been uh, all that it's cracked up to be. And I, I, I know the abundant life is somewhere out there. I believe what Jesus says is true, but I have not experienced it. When he says in John, Anyone who believes in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. How many of you are asking on a daily basis or a weekly basis, where is this living water that's being spoken about? Maybe you even come into a church gathering and you see people worshiping and they're crying and their eyes are, you know, their hands are raised and they're on their faces and you're like, I want that. How come other people seem to have this living water, abundant life and rest from on high and I don't? Perhaps you look at these words like abundant Christian life, you say, that is so far from my, my experience. What I have is stress. What I have is a, a, not an abundant Christian life, but a, a, an adrenaline-addicted Christian life. I live off of adrenaline, not just in emergencies, but I, I wake up in the morning with an adrenaline rush, and I go to bed at night uh, hardly able to sleep because of an adrenaline rush, Perhaps I have health problems because of the stress in my life. Maybe the lack of margin is now creating relational friction in your life. Uh, even when you do have time to be around other people that you ordinarily love and enjoy, you just 
as a schizero says, you leak out onto them, passive-aggressive remarks or sarcasm, or maybe you jab, or maybe you attack. Even your relationships are lacking margin. Perhaps uh, you've experienced what you might call shallow community. You don't have deep, meaningful friendships that take time. You just have acquaintances and associates. Maybe you have a superficial spirituality and you're longing for more. You really do believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but there's something missing. There's no depth there. Maybe all of those combined things you've been experiencing for years and you're now on the verge of what we might call burnout, uh, burning both ends of the wick, so to speak, physically, could be emotionally, spiritually, or relationally. But whatever it is, you might say, I'm a Christian, but the abundant life is not my experience. I am running on empty with little to no margin for some of those things that we talk about that I, we really do believe are important. And here's the truth. Here's the reality of the situation. We can talk all day long about margin in our lives, but unless something changes in our lives, you'll never experience it. We can talk about rest and the abundant life. We can talk about little things like margin and slowing down to be with Jesus, but unless something dramatic changes, we will continue to live frazzled lives. I want to speak from scriptures because I believe that God speaks into our frazzled lives a word of good news, and I literally mean a word, Sabbath. Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? I believe it may be one of the most refreshing and revolutionary things some of you have ever heard or experienced. Sabbath really has its origin in uh, the beginning of creation, God's creative activity that we see in Genesis chapter two, especially verse uh, two through three, where God creates, uh, and for the first half of his creative activity, he's creating space, second half of his creativity, uh, his creative activity is filling that space with living things, you know, creatures and animals and plants and of course, human beings, and then on the seventh day, it says that he rests from his work, or he, he stops working. We're told in Exodus, in our text, in the Ten Commandments, chapter 20, verse 11, the people of God are also, just like God ceased from his work, are to rest on the seventh day. We'll talk about the seventh day in a bit, but I want to talk about rest right now. Because in our frazzled lives, in our way of, you know, at least, speaking for myself, having lived a frazzled lifestyle, I tend to look at things through that lens. So when I think of rest, I think of it uh, through the lens of my own experience, which is exhausted and frazzled and anxious. So when I think of rest, I think of something reactionary, right? I have been working. I am now burning out. I need to react against that work bef uh, before I completely fizzle out so that I can get back to work. But rest in God's understanding, what we see here is not reactionary. It's actually the apex of his work week. Uh, I'm getting that because in Genesis, it doesn't actually say he stopped on the sixth day. It actually says he completes his work on the seventh day when he rests. 
And it's actually giving us a picture that the rest isn't like this inconvenient blurb in his week of activity. It's actually the goal of his work. It's where everything is headed towards. The word for rest in Hebrew is menuha, menuha, and you know, it's translated rest in the scriptures, but it can also be translated as joyous repose, tranquility, and here's my favorite, delight. So what we're speaking about here is not God being, you know, sitting around bored. We're not talking about God being tired, where God doesn't get tired or weary, the prophet Isaiah tells us. Uh, We're not talking about a mere day off to recover, nor are we talking about a vacation, which is also uh, functions for a lot of us as simply a reaction to exhaustion. This is actually a part of uh, of his normal means of being. And so rest for God doesn't look like a reaction. It looks more like the goal of all things. He works, the work is good, but it's, it's heading towards the most important thing, which he calls rest, a time for him to look upon his creation with rest, to cease from work and delight in the things that he has made and done. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, we get a, another vignette into what that rest is supposed to be. It says that God made the Sabbath day holy. Now, holy is one of those words that essentially describes something as set apart for sacred use, okay? Now, every world religion has holy things that they've set apart for sacred use. Interestingly, most of those things are physical. They are places They are buildings, they are temples, they are people, uh, they are physical things. Very rarely, I don't don't even know if in any world religion do we see someone setting apart time itself as a sacred uh, container for holiness and delight. God looks at this unit of time and he says, I am making this holy. the Jewish theologian Abraham Heschel notes, while for other world religions it's actually physical places, cathedrals, churches, synagogues that are holy, for us the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. This unit of time that we have set apart. Uh, and really if you want a, a visual to think of something that's been made holy, think of a container. God has taken this unit of time, he's put boundaries around it, and it is now a container for him to fill with other things. Gone is the work, and he is now filling it with other things. What are some of the things that he's filling with? with? Well, if we're to take our cue from what it means for God to rest, he's not exhausted and tired, he's filling it with joyful repose, tranquility, space to delight in the things that he has done and made. God is ceasing his working activity to delight in a week of creation. So what is the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath is a block of time, usually about 24 hours, for ceasing work to rest and to delight. And traditionally, for Jewish uh, people, the Sabbath starts at sundown on Friday, ends at sundown on Saturday. Uh, In some Christian traditions, that has been moved to Sunday, Paul says in Romans chapter 14, doesn't matter what day it is. Some people observe this day. Other people observe all the days. What matters is what you've decided between you and God. 
But the Sabbath is a block, a unit of time made specifically to cease working and to rest in God. Now, uh, the, the more poignant question perhaps for some of us is why should I care about that? Because listen, we're frazzled. And our solution to a frazzled life, at least mine, is to work harder. And I don't want some preacher telling me when I, what I really need to do is hustle, is to not. When I have a list of things to do that's stacked this high, when I've got kids screaming at me for juice and for food and for all sorts of other messy things, and when I've got people demanding of me, and when I have my own self-imposed pressures, the last thing I want is for some person to tell me, stop doing all of that for a day. So some of you perhaps are asking, you have five, you, maybe you're saying this in your mind, you have five minutes before I walk out of here and get back to my list. I want to take five minutes, or maybe 15, to give you three reasons why you might be compelled to take this commandment seriously. The Sabbath has spilt more ink than possibly any topic in the, in the Hebrew Bible, more than most of us could read in a lifetime. I'm just going to take three things that I think constantly bubble up to the top anytime you read about the Sabbath, and I hope that this will warm your heart and see in God's heart his mercy and goodness and desire for you, enough at least to try it out for yourself. The first thing, three things, ready? The first one is pretty obvious, it's rest. It's resting from work. How many of us in this room need rest from work? Rest from life. Exodus chapter 20, verse 10, you shall not do any work at this time. Now, on the outset, God seems so, like, succinct and blunt in some of these Old Testament passages. If you don't have that relational connection with him, you read something like that, you're like, that seems harsh and mean. Stop doing stuff, you know? But I, I, this kind of took on a new flavor for me when uh, Bree and I are in this transition where kids are like coming out of a season of napping in the middle of the day, you know? Uh, Abby's done, Jude is still like fighting it, and we're just moving into the season. We have a, two kids, five and three, uh, who are not napping anymore, and right now there's this battle, especially with Jude, where we put him down, because we know he still needs it, at least for this time, and he just screams. He's flailing, he's scratching, he's throwing, spitting fire, dragon's fire, all of the things, to uh, just defense mechanisms. I don't want to sleep, and I get it. You're like a three-year-old, and you want to play, and you have a whole day to play. The last thing you want to do is go to sleep. And I remember one day just beside myself and Bree and I were just like, just this kid, like just claws coming at us and stuff. And we're like, ah! And we just started cracking up laughing because I forget who said it, but one of us said to the other, like, this is insane. Like, why is he fighting? I I would love for somebody to to command me to take a nap in the middle of a work day. Like mandatory naps every day? Like, don't don't they do that in some parts of the world? Like mandatory siesta. I would welcome that. I would love for my boss to tell me to take a nap every day. That would be amazing. In a very simplistic way, 
at the, at the risk of oversimplifying, this is God forcing us to rest. Um, saying, I, I know, I know you've got a lot of things, but I care about you. And that work will be here on Monday, but your soul is mine, and I, I, I want you to slow down and, and, and take, um, take observance of the things that actually matter. The needs will never run out. They'll be there next week, but your soul, your soul might be tattered this time next Monday or this time next Tuesday or whatever it is. This is God saying and reminding us as we saw in the gift of limits uh, that God is God and we are not. And even though we, 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 we chafe at, at hearing this, the limits that we have as human beings are God-given. They are a grace to us. You can't do everything. You weren't meant to do everything. And embracing those limits that God gives us is perhaps one of the most liberating things we could do when we were overwhelmed by busyness. It's also to show us that God is faithful. You could work 90 hours a week, seven days a week, and burn yourself out and still not have everything that you need. You could be rich and wealthy and affluent and still be lacking in rest in your soul. This is God saying, if you just trust me, I'll take care of you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I love this line, he makes me lie down in green pastures. You're gonna take a nap. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I love that our God, recognizing how frazzled and how driven we are by the culture and pressures around us, it's said of him, I'm going to make you stop and drink of the deep waters. So the first one is rest. The second one is identity. Or I think maybe an, a more helpful way of putting this is worship. Worship. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 15 is another uh, example where the Sabbath comes up. And God in it gives another reason to the people of, of Israel. He says this. You shall remember. This is incredible. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath day. You see what he's doing? Do you understand that Israel came out of nonstop brutality and enslavement to a world power? They were working seven days a week, unheard of hours every day. They had, they had been stripped of their identity, their human dignity, their worship, their belonging, everything. They were not people in the eyes of, uh, of the Egyptian pharaoh. They were oppressed and pushed down. And the, one of the first things God does when he pulls, redeems them out of slavery is he gives them a new identity. You used to belong to pharaoh, but now you're mine. But notice God doesn't just say that. He gives them a ritual of space and rhythm to remind them perpetually for the rest of their lives. You don't belong to Egypt anymore. You belong to the family of God. You don't live under the rhythms of Pharaoh anymore. You live under the rhythms of the kingdom of God, which are good and pleasant and full of joy. And by them doing this, this is actually an act of resistance by God's people against the narrative of oppressive powers. We are no longer identified by Pharaoh or the surrounding culture or society or other people's expectations 
or the pressure to keep up with the Joneses or our deep-seated desire for a three-bedroom house in Montecito or any of the things that drives us mad. God is saying you don't have to be enslaved to those things anymore. You belong to me. And to participate in a day of rest and delight is an act, an act of resistance against worldly powers and pressures. One of the most beautiful modern day examples I've ever heard of this is a, a photo company called B&H. Uh, founded in 1973, they are on the corner of 9th Avenue and 34th Street in Manhattan, New York City. And they are the largest non-chain photo and video equipment store in the United States. They're actually the second largest in the world, second to one in Tokyo. It, wildly successful in a world of online sales. They still have this giant building that uh, is just wildly successful, just killing it. The owner is Jewish. Herman Schreiber is a Hasidic Jew who will not conduct a business on the Sabbath. So for, that, for them, you know, that means they have to close their store at 1 p.m. on Friday, and all day on Saturday, they're closed. The biggest shopping day in the week. Now, many of their sales are made online, and you can peruse the B&H website on a Saturday, but you can't make an online order. Even though their website presence is huge, totaling almost $116 million in online sales in 2014. Wildly successful. If that isn't insulting enough, they're also closed on Black Friday. Recently, a customer asked the B&H Director of Communications how they could close not just the retail store, but also the website on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, and the busiest shopping day of the year. The director simply replied, we respond to a higher authority. And our wallets ain't hurting. I added that one, he didn't say that. <laughs> Not even Amazon can take them down. We respond to a higher authority. We don't respond to Pharaoh anymore. We don't respond to Amazon. We don't respond to business culture or Wall Street or our neighbors. We respond to God, and God calls us to rest. <clears throat> On a much, uh, much smaller note than Egypt, we, like B&H, also live in an oppressive culture too, and perhaps for some of us, it's busy, 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 productive, 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 frazzled. And the Sabbath message is still the same. You don't belong to them anymore. You belong to God. The third thing that the Sabbath gives to us is a sense of delight again. How many of you need a little more delight in your life? We're not just called to rest, we're not just called to worship, we're called to delight. Not just getting that from the Hebrew word for rest, which entails delight, but God also says in Exodus, here in our text, Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 11, it says, for in the six days when he made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, he rested on the seventh day, and then the Lord blessed that day and made it holy. That word blessing speaks of spiritual well-being. That means the mind and body and soul and emotions all being well within them in the presence of God. 
In other words, God is making this container, he's setting it apart as holy, these 24 hours, as a means for our spiritual well-being that we might delight in them. And he sets the pattern. God rests, he delights in his creation, he blesses it as a means of spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being, he makes it holy, that is, he, he sets it apart as a container for blessing and delight, and then he tells us at the end of this text, now you keep it holy. What's that mean? It means now you set it apart as a container for things that are life-giving to your soul and worshipful. It's almost as if God is stooping down into our fervor and our anxiety and the pressures of our life and saying, hey, listen, I know you had a hard week. I know you've got a lot on your plate, and I know you feel like, you, like the need to hustle, but you're mine, and I want to teach you about my rhythms, and I'm fun, and I delight, and I'm full of joy, and I don't want you to forget that, being so pressured as you are by Pharaoh. So I call you once a week to slow down and to be with me and to delight. Unfortunately, for maybe for a lot of us, that word Sabbath doesn't conjure up feelings of delight and fun and joy. If you've grown up in the church your whole life, or even if you haven't, you just hear that word, it might conjure up images of legalism, of not doing anything, you know, like... When I was a kid, my parents didn't let me do anything. I had to sit in the corner and read the Bible for like 12 hours straight. Like couldn't have fun, couldn't laugh, couldn't eat, starved to death almost. You know, Sabbath. Maybe that's like your caricature of a Sabbath. It's gloomy. Is it any wonder that we would rather be forced, uh, that we would rather work than to be forced to rest in such a dry and gloomy fashion? For even if we're anxious that work, even if we're overworked, it's at least stimulating our hearts. Even if it is stress and anxiety, we're feeling alive. Why would we stop and do nothing instead of getting that stimulation of feeling alive? And this is, I think, partly due to a wrong idea of what the Sabbath is, that it's not fun, that it's not good, that it's gloomy, that it's dry, uh, and that it's basically God telling us not to do all of the things that we wish we could do. And this is actually something that Jesus came in on the scene to correct. Jesus speaks and does a lot regarding the Sabbath. One of my favorite stories is in Mark chapter 2, and actually all through the book of Mark, we see him interacting with people on the Sabbath. And we see one scene where he's picking uh, heads of grain and he's eating with his friends. He gets yelled at by the religious elite for that. We see instances where he casts out demons, specifically on the Sabbath. We see him healing people on the Sabbath. Every single time, the religious leaders are, are, are uh, chastising him. How dare you do that? And his answer to them is stunning. First of all, he says in, in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, he's saying, I'm God. I created this. And then the second thing he says is, this, uh, is that the Sabbath was made for humans, not humans for the Sabbath. The Sabbath, you understand, is a gift of God for the rejuvenation and delight of your soul in Him. 
It wasn't made to push and, 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 and smash you down. It wasn't made as another form of oppression like work sometimes can feel like. Sabbath is ultimately about slowing down to be with Jesus. It was meant to be a blessing. It's a sign of God's own delight in his creation, and it's a gift from him to, his, uh, to former slaves, teaching them how to delight in the presence of God. And it dares any of us who take it seriously to see God as a playful God. I love the German theologian Jürgen Moltmann who was obsessed with the playfulness of God. One author commenting on him writes uh, in Moltmann's book, A Theology of Play. Love that. He asks, why did God create the universe if he is a free and all-sufficient being? His answer, rooted in in the book of Proverbs, is that we actually observe God playing when he made the world. Wisdom, who is from all eternity before the world began, we see that in Proverbs 8, 23 and 25, played in the Father's presence when the world was being created. I'll just show you an example of that in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 30 through 31. It says, then I, speaking of wisdom, I was constantly at God's side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. That's the, that's the image of Sabbath. Through worship, rest, and delight, we see that Sabbath is a sign that we belong to God. We belong to a God that we can trust and because we belong to a God who we can trust, we can therefore slow down, surrender to him, and learn how to delight again. Some of you might be hearing this. Maybe you're saying, well, yeah, but isn't Sabbath keeping legalistic? And isn't the fact that you're telling me to observe the Sabbath pretty legalistic of you? You're so legalistic. Paul does speak a lot about legalism in his writings. He's one of the most common uh, authors writing about legalism. Never once does he say that the law itself is legalistic. He questions our motives behind using the law. That's what he says is legalistic. He says it's legalistic to rely on the law to justify ourselves before God or others. So, If I were to practice the Sabbath in order to make God accept me, that would be legalistic. If I, you know, if you you know, you got wasted during the week uh, and burned a a bunch of people, burned bridges, and were unethical at your job, and then you were like, "I'm going to practice the Sabbath," maybe that will kind of balance the scale. Legalistic Sabbath keeping cannot save you. It cannot change the way that God sees you. And you can add to that list any practice or observance. Going to church, reading your Bible, praying, being a part of a home group. Those things can't change or save you. The only thing that can save a person is the power of Jesus Christ and his shed blood by the power of the Holy Spirit to go into the depths of your heart and change you from the inside out. That's the only way and that only happens by faith and trust. Paul says it's legalistic to rely on the law to justify ourselves before God and others, but it's still good. The law is still good if it's used rightly, he would say in Romans 7, 12, 1 Timothy 1, 8. So I want to be absolutely clear. 
We are saved by grace through faith, not by Sabbath, not by reading the scriptures, not by studying, not by church attendance, not by anything that we do. We are saved by the grace of God through faith. So, again, very clear. If you don't observe the Sabbath and you're a Christian, you are still a Christian, okay? Don't want anyone to mistake what I'm saying here. If you don't observe the Sabbath and you're a Christian, you will still get to heaven. Got it? You can never observe the Sabbath any day of your life, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you are still a follower of Jesus. If you don't observe the Sabbath, you'll still get into heaven. But your life will be a living hell. When we don't take seriously the rhythms that God has given us, we will pay the price. He's not going to hate us for it. He's not going to stiff arm us when we get to heaven's gates. We're going to suffer the consequences of it. Many of us want the life of Jesus, not understanding that to have the life of Jesus and to do the things that he did, we also need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. The same Jesus who constantly slowed down to be with his father. You cannot live a life that is governed by Pharaoh and expect the blessings of heaven to affect your life here and now. It must come through rest. The divine and sacred rest of God where he commands us to slow down at times and be with him. If you don't observe the Sabbath, you'll still get to heaven, but your life might be hell. Some of you are saying, but isn't this part of the Old Covenant law? Like it's in the Old Testament, right? Everything in the Old Testament we don't have to read or do anymore. This is one of the Ten Commandments. What if we were to do that with the other Ten Commandments? Just, just go with me. Thou shalt not murder. Well, that was part of the Old Covenant in the Old Testament, which we don't have to do anymore. So I'm going to kill everybody that gets on my nerves today. <laughs> Stealing, greed, you know, whatever. Old covenant. Look, I know that is so trendy today to disregard things in the Old Testament that we are uncomfortable with, but as Christians who honor God's word, we just can't do it. We need reasons for the things that we do, and those reasons have to come from the Bible itself. Now, there are practices in the Old Testament that look different than they used to, right? In Leviticus, it says, don't eat certain animals like shrimp. And yet, how many of you are going to go to the pier and eat a shrimp cocktail and not sweat a bead about it? Now, stuff like that, or, you know, the, the Old Testament also tells us uh, not to mix fabrics. But how many of us love H&M? You know, like, you can't go into h H&M. The reason H&M is so cheap is because cotton and polyester fabric mix. And yet, none of us are, like, freaking out in our souls because we're disobeying God. But the reason for those things is not arbitrary, even if it might be for you. The reason is we have looked in the New Testament and seen examples of Jesus himself or the apostles. Not abrogating the Old Testament, but saying in in one way or another, here's a command in the Old Testament that is teaching a principle. And that that principle has been fulfilled somehow in, in Jesus' coming. And so the expression of that practice has been changed a little bit, but the principle remains the same. So, For example, shrimp, uh, the no shrimp laws that had to do with uh, clean things and unclean things. In Leviticus, that whole book is about the difference between being clean and unclean. 
The whole idea of Leviticus is that the people of Israel were called to look different than the surrounding culture. They just got brought out of slavery to Egypt, and now God wants them to be a beacon on a hill that looks different. So he does it in very obvious, vivid, visual ways. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. When we get to the New Testament, we don't just disregard it just because we don't like it or it's weird, but because we have reasons that something has changed. For example, the shrimp laws. I'm I'm kind of picking on that one. Uh, Jesus comes along on the scene and he says this. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles a person. It's not what goes into your stomach. It's actually what comes out of your mouth, out of your heart, that defiles a person. So it's not about what you eat or what you don't eat. It's about what's in your heart, anger, greed, resentment, lust, all of those things. That's what needs to change, not your diet. Uh, Peter would have a dream after that later where he would see all these different kinds of foods falling from the sky, and God tells him, you pick up and eat, book of Acts. And Peter says, I will never eat that which is unclean. And God says, do not call unclean what I have uh, declared clean. And that was a huge moment for Peter. He realized that uh, through Jesus, unclean things could be made clean. That was specifically about Gentiles, but then it moves on into all sorts of things. Paul would pick it up in Romans chapter 14 and say it's really not about food. It's about your conscience before God. Some people won't want to eat this, that's okay. Some people want to eat that, that's okay. What matters is your conscience before God and how you're treating one another. There's freedom in Christ. So for all of you that want that shrimp cocktail or want to shop at H&M, God be with you, okay? But you see, there's reasons. We don't just chuck out things in the Old Testament that we don't like. And there's certain things that never get changed even in practice, like sexuality, right? So when we're looking at something like the Sabbath, we should ask, what does Jesus or Paul or Peter, whoever, do with the Sabbath when it comes in on the seed? And they do interact with it. What they do with the law, what Jesus does with the law in the Sermon on the Mount, is he actually intensifies it. He doesn't say, okay, you can murder now. That was an Old Testament rule. He actually says, in the Old Testament, you were told not to murder the body. I'm telling you not to murder the heart. It's not enough that you're not killing and strangling people, but you're actually holding your brother in contempt. That's about as good as murder in your heart. He actually intensifies it. He does the same thing with the Sabbath. In fact, for those of you that are wondering, is this still something that's of value to us today? Hebrews chapter four, verse nine, tells us that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest is also rested from his works as God did from his. And you should read that whole passage. It is, it is beautiful. The author of Hebrews basically says that the, the Israelites could never enter, they were unable to enter into deep, lasting rest with God because even though they observed the the day itself, they did it with unbelief. They didn't have faith. The whole argument here is, you you know, anybody can take a Saturday off. Your heart needs to be changed. You need to go into that day with a changed heart. Rest ultimately doesn't come from a practice or a space in the week. It ultimately comes from Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith and the giver of lasting rest. The first thing all of us need to understand in this building is that if we want rest for our restless hearts, we need to be born again. We need our hearts to be supernaturally changed by the living God. If you've never had that happen to you before, and you, or maybe you're not sure, 
Yeah, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, anyone who believes that God, uh, that God raised Jesus from the dead and confesses with their mouth that he is Lord can be saved. It comes by faith. That means simple trusting in what has happened and a repenting, a turning away from your lifestyle and going towards that thing or that person that you now believe is the reality. It's just trusting And so maybe for some of you, you're trusting for the first time. I believe that that is the Holy Spirit working in your heart to change you supernaturally. Your only response is to say, yes, I'm going to do this. Rest comes from Jesus. Anybody can take a Saturday off. Real rest comes from Jesus. And this is what Jesus himself was alluding to in Matthew 11 when he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls. It was the prayer that Augustine of Hippo prayed uh, in the early centuries when he, he prayed to God, uh, my soul is restless until it finds rest in you, God. And it is what Paul would later combat in Colossians 2 when he said, you know, you guys, speaking to a group of religious people, he said, you know, you're observing the Sabbath and these special festival days and new moon festivals, and you think that those things are what's saving you, but then he says this, I believe in uh, verse 17 or 18, but the substance is Christ. The NIV translates it by saying the reality is Christ. That's where we get our name as a church. Jesus is reality. What Paul was saying in Colossians is those things are meant to push you towards Jesus, to slow down to be with the one who gives us supernatural rest. So you must be born again. If, it's, if it misses Jesus, if you miss that, you miss everything. However, upon being born again, if you're not spending time with the one who brings you rest, you might be living a frazzled life. And the Sabbath still offers to us a weekly rhythm, a container to be with the one who provides true rest. Some of you say, well, you know, I work seven days a week. Even when I'm not working, I come home and my mind is working. But that's okay. Jesus is my Sabbath. No wonder we're so frazzled. When Israel came out of 400 years of slavery to Egypt, God didn't say the Sabbath is within you. He gave them a full day. He gave them a full day and said, I want you to set it apart. I want you to rest. I want you to stop working. I want you to delight in me. I want you to worship. I want you to play. I want you to laugh. I want you to eat. I want you to take four snaps in the middle of the day. And in that, remember, I am the one who brought you out of slavery. You belong to me. You might find that if you were to do that even once in a week, that that container of God's rest and delight will spill over into the other six days of work. Some of you might be asking, how do you do it? The last thing we want to do is turn it into another law or a list of things that we're supposed to do that really just work to oppress us further. Maybe we could just start by Looking back at those three points as a guide, worship, rest, and delight, what would it look like for you in one day to worship, to rest, and delight? 
What if we just started small? Like the last thing you want to do is like, okay, 50 things that I need to do, 50 things that I not need to do, and then you go out of that day into your Monday or Sunday more frazzled than when you became. Let's just start small. What if you were to ask this question, what activities will I refuse to engage in? Could just be one or two. What activities will I refuse to engage in so that it is truly a day of worship, rest, and delight? Two, what activities bring me delight and joy and are life-giving, and how can I incorporate them? What can I take out of a day? What can I add to that day that will rejuvenate and give life to my soul? Then third, pick a day, ask God to help you, see where it leads you, and adjust from there. And you know, this is going to look different for everybody, (laughs) For the college student, you know, you might have so much time on your hands, like in the middle of summer, you're like, I'm going to sleep in till noon and then surf in, surf until midnight and then take a nap at one in the morning and then just like eat food and like just lounge, bro. And some of you, single parents with multiple jobs, you're like, I ain't lounging. But it's going to look different for everyone. Don't impose upon yourself more burdens. Ask yourself, is there one thing, two things I can do to take the pressures of this life out of this container and add to it something that is life-giving? I love the, uh, during our prayer meeting today, uh, uh, quoted this woman by the name of Susanna Wesley, who's Charles Wesley, the hymn writer's wife, who had uh, 11 kids. Charles was off, you know, riding horseback, writing his hymns, and she was at home with 11 kids. Oh, what's the Sabbath look like for her? She's probably not surfing. And it was said of her, she, it was, she was quoted as saying, there were times where she would just pull her apron over her head and just for a moment just be with the Lord. So I want to ask you, for those of you that are frazzled right now, what's your apron? What does it look like for you to do? You know, for Brianna and my kids and I, what we've been doing, and I'm not giving this as something to copy or what it should look like for you. This is what works for us. We do things that send us, you know, for us, our Sabbath day is Monday for obvious reasons. Um, and so on Monday, we, do, we have a list of things that we have just known over the years fill our hearts. Uh, and you wouldn't know that we were practicing a Sabbath by looking at us because we're not gloomy. You know, we're not like in a cloister at some monastery, like praying for 20 hours a day. Um, We're we're going to the beach. Uh, Bree and I, we love to hit the gym. That gives gives a rejuvenation to us. Uh, Sometimes we'll do family outings with our kids. Uh, Sometimes we will nap in the middle of the day. That is my love language, man. (laughs) I'm going to nap right now after this. Just kidding. We love to spend long hours pouring over meals. Dinner, we take a long time to make dinner. Sometimes it's really fast, but on that Sabbath day, we love to just put our hands in the dirt, to peel the leaves and to work with it and to slow down. We're in the kitchen talking and laughing. Um, We'll pray together. And I don't mean like we're praying in the corner for hours. Like it might just be a prayer at a meal, an intentional prayer. Like we might bless our kids right before they go to bed or at prayer we'll thank God for something. We're, we might have friends over and just laugh. 
Um, it changes every week, but these are life-giving things. One thing that almost never changes is what we don't do. We don't work. And we love working. For Bree, uh, these are things like errands. Uh, she does the finances, so no finances on Monday. Uh, even though these are huge pressure upon our shoulders, we wait until another day, or at least we try. Uh, To-do lists, the laundry, uh, groceries, financial stuff. Uh, for me, you know, I, I'm not in an office working. I'm not at church, but I can bring it home with me in my mind. So I stop thinking about what I need to do. I don't look at my email. I don't look at social media. I don't look at my to-do lists. Our staff uses Slack a lot to communicate. I turn that off. We create a holy container to be with each other and to be with God. And I'll tell you, after a little while of doing this, it has spilled off into the rest of my week. Even when days are so full of frantic chaos, I've just started to notice a slowness in my heart in the middle of that chaos. And in subtle ways, God whispering to me, when things are crashing around, uh, all around me, you don't belong to Pharaoh anymore. You belong to me, the one who calms the storm. This doesn't come from lightning hitting you out of the sky at a conference that you go to in the middle of the summer. This comes from regular rhythms, of slowing down to be with Jesus. Next week, we'll talk about daily rhythms. Just wanna give you a weekly rhythm. What would, it, what would it do to you if you were to try this? I'm gonna ask Cody to come out and lead us in song. And I wanna close with a passage in Mark chapter six, verse 30 through 31. And put yourself in the, in, the, in the seat of the apostles as though Jesus were saying this to you. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 31. In the middle of a very busy season, It says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And so they went away into a boat to a desolate place by themselves. As we go into a time of worship through song, I want you to imagine a God who has everything under control and whose primary desire for you is to come away and to be with him. Thank you, Lord, for your unending mercies and love and goodness towards us. May you help us to realize these things by the power of your Son and by the presence of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.